Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Check, check. All right, I'm on. Great. Well, thank you guys for coming today. Good morning. And before you start, I just want to say, I hope that's the, the, your heart today, this morning, that your soul can sing how great our God is, no matter what you may be going through today, no matter the struggle, no matter the trials, just remember that God is so good, and we can sing that every single time, no matter what. And I pray that today will be an encouragement to you, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning and preach for pastor. If you open your bulletin today, uh, we don't look alike, but we're about the same height, okay? So, <laughs> no, that's not true at all, but that's okay. But I'm glad to be here. Usually, I'm downstairs with the kids. I'm the children's pastor. If you don't know me, my name is Carlos, and just thankful to be here today. Also, if you are here for the first time and there should be a connection card in the seat back in front of you. And if you want to fill that out and see me in the back after service, I'll get, I got a gift for you to say thanks for joining us today. And so today, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, we are continuing in our series entitled New Message. Great challenge and conviction while studying out this message. And so the new message, the pastor has these graphics that he had, getting a new message and we're talking about the churches in Revelation, the seven churches, and they each got this letter. And today we're going to go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. Before we do that, we're going to open in a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness towards us. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to just be able uh, to put uh, distractions aside and just focus on your word we just thank you so much for the encouragement of the songs already that help us worship you. And I pray that you'd help us to recognize that you are great, no matter what circumstance. And I pray, Lord, as we go through this passage of scripture, that you'd help it to be a challenge. And that as you speak to us through your word, that you'd help us to apply it to our life. And we just thank you so much for the opportunity and privilege it is to gather. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to have a good week, and that you help us to just be vessels of you and to be a light that shines in our community. We thank you for your love, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at it in verse number 12, it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is or throne, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, repent, or else I will come up thee unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give thee Eve, the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth he 
that received it. Today's uh, title for the message is Stand Firm for Jesus. And so in the last few messages, we've seen the address to the church of Ephesus in Smyrna. And so today we're going to talk about the church of Pergamos. If you, don't much, if you don't know much about Pergamos, Pergamos was a very religious city where many people would come to worship Greek gods, including Zeus. They had an altar built to Zeus. And also, they have an altar or a temple of healing for the Greek god named Asclepius. Can you guys say that with me? Asclepius. Asclepius was a god that took the form of a snake or a serpent. And Asclepius... He was the healing God. So like, if you, wanted, if you wanted healing or you needed healing, you would go to Pergamos to try to get healing from this God. And if you guys are familiar with the medical symbol with the snake wrapped around the pole, that's kind of where this comes from too, Asclepius. And what you would have to do to try to get healing from a God, this God, it wasn't guaranteed. What you would have to do was go to a temple and it was complete darkness. Complete darkness, you would have to go to the temple and you have to lay on the ground. And guess what's in, what, guess what's in the temple? A bunch of snakes. So you're in the darkness with these snakes, and if you can lay on the ground, and if a snake were to crawl over you, then that would be a sign of a God touching you or in giving you healing. And so I don't know about you, but if I had a disease or something, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to go out like that. I'm not going to go lay on the ground and have a bunch of snakes all over me. And there's people out there that are like, I'm not afraid of snakes. All right, you go, go ahead, be my guest. Go ahead and lay with the snakes. But you know, that would just sound terrible. You know, there's not a lot of hope there laying in, on the ground with a bunch of snakes. And so if we were in those shoes of the Christians at this time in Pergamos, Pergamos was a very dark city. You can see that there in verse number 13. It says where Satan's seat is or his throne and where he dwells. And so we know that Satan's influence is everywhere, but in this city, it was very bad. And so the demonic influence there was bad. There wasn't a lot of Christian influence in that society. And so if, you were, if we were in their shoes, it wouldn't have been easy. They felt a lot of oppression. There would be a lot of deception going on trying to get them to leave their faith and just conform to the world's way. If the city of Pergamos was such a wicked place to live, then there probably wasn't any Christians left. But that's not true as we see here in Revelation. And as long as we are walking with Jesus, we can stand firm no matter what darkness surrounds us. And I just want you to be encouraged with that thought. It's no, it's no question today if the world is bad or full of sin and darkness. It's very obvious that when we leave these walls that it's just a warfare out there. And in that warfare, there's, some, there's one thing that we can do. There's two things that we can do. We can either stand for Jesus or confirm to the world. We know in Romans chapter 12, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you do the perfect will of God. And the way that that happens is you have to be a living sacrifice. And that's the church of Pergamos, they were. And yes, the church of Pergamos, they had their problems. They had some things that had to sort out. But what church doesn't, right? We know that we are a broken group of people. We're gathering not to worship ourselves or worship idols, but to worship a perfect God. And so we see that they may have struggled in Pergamos, that Pergamos wasn't an easy city to live in. But when you stand for Jesus, you can make a difference even surrounded in the darkness. And so they... Just think, about, just think about people in scripture who didn't 
turned from God even when everybody around them was forsaking the name of God. And we can see uh, many, many times again from Scripture that if you were to just go with what the world is doing, then it's it's going to ruin your life. There's a lot of times when God gives a certain command to someone, say, you're supposed to live this life. And when they do the opposite of that, what really ha- what happens? Ruin, they, their relationships, they go bad, their sin destroys them. So that's the same thing we can think about here in this church of Pergamos is if they weren't standing for Jesus, then they would have all just become corrupt. And so just think about those people in Scripture who didn't turn from God even when everyone around them was. And we can do that today here at Moses Lake Baptist Church. The church of Pergamos as we know, had their problems. But something that's very encouraging is you can see there in verse 13, the very first line, it says, I know thy works. When Jesus is addressing these churches, he, just, he doesn't just say, all right, you're terrible, you're bad, now get out of my face. He tells them and encourages them as, hey, I know. I see what you're doing, I see what you're trying to do, and I am aware But Jesus loves them too much to just let them stay in their sin. And that's very encouraging because even in our lives, we can kind of feel like we're alone and the things that we're doing, God isn't seeing them, but we can be reminded that God sees. And Jesus sees their works. And I bet Pergamos was feeling a little bit lonely in their their city. Pergamos was, as we know, where Satan dwells, it's, It was a place where there was a lot of sin and a lot of influence, fornication and idolatry, and yet they stood firm. And also Jesus knows. He's there with us. He wants to help us. They were trying to live for God, and there were so many people around them that were not holding to the name of Jesus. So today I want us to just come away with this as the title, Stand Firm for Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're going through a valley, if you're going through a trial, if you just receive the greatest blessing, you can stand firm for Jesus no matter what. And first of all, today I want us to see standing firm for Jesus isn't always easy. If you look at verse number 12 and 13, it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, where Satan dwells, or where thou dwellest, and even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name, and has not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwells. If you look there in verse number 12, it says, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. That's just Jesus talking about the word of God. And we see in Bible that we see in the Bible that the Bible itself is compared to a sword with sharp edges because it cuts and helps us see our flaws and our problems. It may have been a very difficult time for the church of Pergamos, but one thing that was encouraging is that Jesus, Jesus knew this, and he was there for that church. We know that Jesus cares deeply about his church. Why is that? He gave his life for that church. He gave his life for the church. Every, every group of believers that gathers and that have put their faith and trust in him, he died for them. And so Jesus is not going to just shy away from sin that's happening in his church. He cares about them. He wants to correct them. Another thing that Jesus helps the church of Pergamos with is reminding them who the real enemy is. 
Look there in verse 13, it says, at the very end, where Satan dwelleth. And in Pergamus, there was, it was a very political city as well. And he's trying to help them to remember that the ruler of the day is not the enemy. The people that they, that are involved in fornication and idolatry, they're not the enemy. He's trying to remind them that the enemy is Satan. And God's trying to remind us of that today as well. How many times have you heard someone say, oh, no, it's doing it again. How many times have you heard someone say that, if this person wasn't in office, then we, our world would be so much better off. How many, how many people have heard say that? Okay, People have said that, and it doesn't matter who is in office or who is in charge. The world is still corrupted. It's still bad. And that's just to remind us today that those people aren't the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Satan is always and will be the enemy because as Christians, our fight is not against each other as humans. Our fight is with Satan. And we know Satan's tactics, and we know his what he wants to do. It's very clear in scripture. It says in Luke 22:31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. If the Lord says your name twice, it's going to get your attention. Just think of the Lord was talking to you, okay? Carlos, Carlos, just in your mind, think of the Lord is trying to get your attention. He's trying to warn you about what Satan wants to do to you. And if it's, this is coming from Jesus, it's a very serious warning. And sometimes we try to downplay how significant our enemy is. And yes, we know that Satan, he's not as powerful as God, but he is more powerful than us. And so if we try to fight against the devil alone, we're going to get knocked down. We can't face his darts. That's why the Bible tells us that we need to be equipped with the armor of God so that we can withstand the fiery darts of the devil. And in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. As Christians, we have to have our guard up, especially as Christians. Once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your life is no longer your own. And that because you are bought with the price. And once that happens, once that transition takes, change, takes place in your life, there is a target on your back. And so this church in Pergamos, they, they had a huge target on their back. Why? Because Satan knows that there's any sort of Christian influence in a society that does not want anything to do with God, there is a chance that revival could take place in that city. And so many times we downplay our ability or our or our purpose in Christ. We think that I'm just one person that can't make a difference for Christ. But think about all the people in scripture and even in history who have stood up for Christ. They made a difference. People get saved because of it. And so just remember that we're not the enemy. Our, even our greatest like person that just makes us angry, you know, they're not the real enemy, but Satan is. And Satan wants to destroy you and me. Satan wants us, would love nothing more than seeing that church of Pergamus fall. But guess what? He didn't have success because God was so much greater in their lives. And Satan would love nothing more if we here today would stop caring about our testimony. Once, once, you, once you ruin your testimony, it's kind of hard to get that back, right? 
And so Satan would love nothing more for us, for us than to ruin that. He would love if we stopped reading our Bible, love if we stopped praying to God, and he would love if we stopped sharing the good news of Jesus. As we can see here from this passage, this church did not forsake the name of Jesus. It says there in verse 13, And thou holdest fast my name, it has not denied my faith. And today, we can do the same because if we stand for Jesus, if we're standing for something that's important to us, we won't waver. And we can learn from this church of Pergamos that no matter what presents itself, we can stand firm for Jesus, even though it's not always easy. And so you and I, we don't have to wait for somebody else to stand up for Jesus. A lot of times in our fault as Christians is we place our responsibility, our responsibility of Christianity, we place it on someone else, on another Christian. We think that, oh, maybe someone else will share the gospel with them. Maybe, maybe somebody else will tell them, or maybe somebody else, will, somebody else will stand up for Christ, and I don't have to do it right now. But if we're honest today, there are people that we are with every single day. Or we don't have influence on them like we should. And so for me, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm out at work, I'm out in the community, and for those of you who don't know, I have a, another job at Taco Bell, you may never meet those people that I work with. And so that's my circle of influence. And for me and your people that you are with every single day, the people you work with, I may never meet them. That is your circle of influence. And so we have to just be aware. We have to be aware of who we're standing firm for. If you look in there, the end of verse 13, they held, they did not deny the faith even in the days where Antipas, Antipas, his faithful servant, was martyred. Before we talk a little bit about Antipas, I want to ask this question. How many of us stop holding fast to the name of Jesus for a lot less inconvenience? You think about some, something that happened that was a little bit of inconvenience, and you said, okay, God, you know what? I tried my best. I tried to live for you, and, and this happened, so I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. But even, even this church, even losing someone close to them, someone giving their life or their faith, they still kept going. I just want you to think about how often we try to find an excuse to stop being Jesus. How we often try to find some way or some reason why we don't need to follow God anymore. And we don't know a lot about Antipas, more other than he was a Christian in this church who gave his life for the faith, who was a martyr. And Jesus is connecting with this church. Sometimes when we are here, we, and, you know, we, don't, we don't get to walk with Jesus physically like people did in the Bible. We don't get to see him face to face. And so we think that he is not with us personally. Like, he, we, okay, yes, like he's our savior and he died for us on the cross, but sometimes we forget that there actually is a personal connection there. And so when Jesus is talking about Antipas, he's trying to connect with this church. He says, I see you guys. I see what you're doing. I see that there's someone in, your, in this church who gave their life for me, and I see that. And so Jesus is connecting with this church. I don't know about you, but every time I read about someone giving their life in Scripture, it challenges me. It begs me to ask, would I do the same thing? And if a lot of us are being honest, it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought that you would maybe have to give your life just for simply believing in Jesus. But how often do we shy away from 
what we believe when the slightest opposition presents itself. I just want to challenge you with this. We face different kinds of temptation and opposition than these people did in Pergamos, but the principle still stands that no matter, no matter what comes our way, we can stand for Jesus even if it isn't easy. The easier route for us would be not to even come to church, not to put the work in to have a Christian walk with God. That would be the easy route, just conforming to sin and the world's ideology. That would be what's easy. But God doesn't just call you to what's easy. And the thing is to remember that you don't have to do the Christian life on your own. We get to come to church and worship with other believers. This is just a glimpse of what heaven will be like when we are all, uh, every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow and everyone singing praises to God. This is just a glimpse. And that's an encouragement. And we don't have to do the Christian life by yourself. And sometimes we, in our knowledge and our human thinking, that we think, all right, I've been, a, I've been a Christian for this amount of years. I think I've got it down. That's, not, that's never going to be This thing is going out again. I'm just going to switch to a handheld. Check, check, check. All right. It happened in the first service, too. But, uh, but what, the other thing that you missed, I was doing a bunch of backflips, too. No, I was kidding. But <laughs> I made a joke that, you know, the other service isn't live stream, so whatever happens, happens, right? <laughs> but uh, I'm just thankful that you no know, uh, technology is great. But anyways, uh, when, you, when you read about people dying, it, it's challenging. And you, you want to live better because of that. And when you think about someone dying for something like believing in Jesus, do you think that they would die for it if they didn't fully believe it? If you, if you think about it, like the disciples, they, they gave their life for Jesus, and they were, like, getting picked off one by one after Jesus was gone. They probably wouldn't have died for that if they didn't really believe it. Even if they half believed it, they wouldn't give their life for it. And do you know why this church was able to withstand all of the demonic influence in their city is because they were standing for Jesus' name, not their name. It says there in verse 13, you hold that thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. If I try to go out in my community tomorrow and I try to stand for Carlos' name, what's that going to do? <laughs> it's going point- to be pointless. It's going to be worthless I can't accomplish anything in myself. You cannot accomplish anything in yourself. But if we were to go out tomorrow in our community and stand for the name of Jesus, then, man, you you can just see and watch how God will work through you. And they held fast his faith. It's Jesus' name that we're proclaiming, not not our own. You may be wondering to yourself, what is the purpose for us to stand so boldly for the name of Jesus? Like, why, why, do we have, why does Scripture tell us to do these things? Like, what's the point of standing for Jesus, even within church? You can see it here in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 16. It says, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. This passage of Scripture is great. It's, a, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking here. He says, you, he's talking to the disciples and Christians in general, you should let your light shine, not for yourself, 
not to bring glory to yourself, but that they may see you and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And that's what, that's what the church of Pergamos was trying to do. They're trying to, live, they're trying to live a Christian life that doesn't bring honor to themselves, but honor to God. And that's what, that's what we should do today. The Christian life is not about us, and it never will be. It's about us bringing glory to God. Some, most times we can get selfish in our Christianity. We want to try to put on a good show and, and try to pray eloquent prayers and do these things to be impressive. But guess who did that kind of stuff? The Pharisees. And so we don't have to, we've been going through, we've been going through a series on Wednesday nights about prayer with the kids. And one thing that we try to, I try to tell them is that when you're, when you're living your Christian life, it doesn't have to be this fancy thing that you have to be so eloquent with. It's just very simple. It's like, God wants a relationship with you, and so you just talk to him whenever you, whenever you want, and when, you can talk to him all, all the time, and you just live for God and watch how he works, and sometimes we just overcomplicate it, and it just amazes me, like, what the kids know and what they learn, and when they talk about Christianity, it's very simple. They talk about obeying God and reading the Bible and praying, and if we were just to stick to those basics, we would be a lot better off than a lot of people. And though this church has some problems to work out, they had, they had one thing right. They were living for the name of Jesus. They were standing for Jesus. And through every oppression and temptation to turn away from the faith, they held fast the name of Jesus. And that's what makes the difference. I don't know what we may experience as far as persecution later on, but as of right now, we don't have it as, we don't have that you're a Bible thumper, and that's okay. <laughs> that's, that's all right. Someone says, oh, there, here comes the Jesus freak. You know, that's, that's okay. You just keep living for God and living for Jesus. And secondly, today I want us to see standing for Jesus requires us to be clean vessels. If you look there in verse number 14, it says, but I have a few things against thee. Because thou hast there them that hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Oops, I skipped too many verses. Hold on. <laughs> thou, so hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, Jesus, he, here he was correcting some of their sin that they have going on. And if we're being honest this morning, we do not like being corrected, right? Someone comes up to you and says, hey, I think, you know, you've been doing this thing, and I don't think you should be doing that anymore. You start getting defensive, and you start, you know, yelling at them or whatever. But if Jesus is the one that's doing the correcting, we should probably listen up. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I have no idea what may, you may be dealing with. But if God is trying to correct something in your life, don't ignore it. Don't, don't try to push it away because God has his best interest for you. He wants what's best for us. As you read earlier in this passage, the church of Pergamos was a great church. They just had some things in their church that they had to deal with. 
And when Jesus corrects us, it's for our benefit. And so we see here in verse number 14, it says that some are holding to the doctrine of Balaam. Now, if you don't know, any, if you don't know a lot about Balaam and Balak, this story, it takes place in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. Balaam was actually a prophet of God, so he had the ability to do something that not a lot of people had. He was able to hear from God and, and give messages and, and prophecies, and yet he turned to, he was a wicked prophet. He didn't have the right heart. His motivation turned bad. And so King Balak, he, he, he saw and heard that the children of Israel, the Israelites, they're making their way to his territory, his land, and so this king is feeling threatened, and the king needs a solution, and so he basically hires Balaam. He says, if you can curse the children of Israel, I'll give you a great reward. And so we see Balaam here. He tries to curse the children of Israel, and it says there in Numbers 22, verse 6, it says, Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and I may drive them out of the land. And so the king here, his goal is to get, get rid of them. But God told this to Balaam. Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And so ba King Balak wants Balaam to curse the Israelites, but God says you can't curse them because they are blessed. And so what happened is was Balaam, he gets on the donkey, and we know that uh, he's riding the donkey, and the donkey sees the angel, and, they, and the donkey goes off the path, and Balaam gets so mad, he starts to beat the animal, right? And the donkey opens his mouth, like, what did I do to you? <laughs> he's like, the, the donkey gets, asks Balaam, what did I do to you, right? He's like, I'm just, I am just an animal. And so I just think it's funny that the donkey had to talk some sense into Balaam. And maybe we need that too, like if my dog can be like, dude, really? <laughs> like, you know, if our animals can talk to us, that'd be great. And so in Numbers, it says that, the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Long story short, Balaam attempted to curse the Israelites three times, but guess what? He couldn't, because why? God said that they are a blessed people. And Balaam, he's mentioned a couple more times in the New Testament. He's mentioned, and we'll get to that in a minute, but King Balak was furious about this. He said, all right, Balaam, you can't curse the Israelites, so you're not going to get your reward. And who knows how much money it might say. I just didn't see. But, like, it wouldn't have been worth it to get a reward to attack God's people. And whatever reward Balak was going to give him, it wouldn't have mattered anyways. It wouldn't have mattered for eternity because it's just material things. But after many blessings from the Lord... Balaam still didn't give up. Balaam still was trying to get that reward, and he ended up coming with a plan to put a stumbling block before the Israelites. And they, so they came up with this plan. They said, all right, now get all your Moabite women. Now, we know from Scripture that the Israelites, they were not supposed to marry or be married outside of that. So the Moabites, definitely not Israelites, they said, all right, we'll, we'll entice them with that. And so the Israelites they commit fornication with the Moabite women. And then they start being involved in idolatry. And so Balaam could not curse the Israelites, but the Israelites cursed the Israelites. 
And we see, we see so many times in Scripture where the Israelites, they just mess up. They betray God. And we always think to ourselves, how, how could they do that? How could they, how could they turn their back on God, and yet we do the same thing? And so we see here that the Israelites, they put a curse on themselves because of their sin. And what happened is a man named Phineas took a spear and drove it through an Israelite man and the woman. And, be, and with that, the plague ended. But the Israelites, they did not have to make that, they didn't have to do that sin. They did not have to make that choice to commit fornication with the Moabite women and all this other stuff. And because of that, 24,000 people died. And, you know, that the children of Israelite was a big group of people, so like, that's like a small amount, but still... That is a very significant number for something that they didn't even have to do. That's something that they didn't have to be involved in. And 24,000 people died because of the, the curse they put on themselves from the stumbling block that was placed before them. In Balaam, he's referred to a couple times in the New Testament. 2 Peter 15 says, Which has forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. If your name's in the Bible and that's next to your name, that's not good. <laughs> the lover of unrighteousness. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam was a very wicked person. So that's why Jesus is addressing this at the church of Pergamos. He's saying that there are some people who are holding to this kind of doctrine, who are holding to this lifestyle at this church. And that means that there are people there who are committing fornication and idolatry and they're lovers of unrighteousness. And in Jude chapter 111, it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone away in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. And so we, what do we know from Balaam? He's a wicked prophet. He's a lover of unrighteousness. He's greedy for reward. And so there's people in this church who are holding to this doctrine. And if you, if you can say with me, this church should not be involved with that kind of doctrine. Any, any Bible-believing church which should stray away from that kind of doctrine. And then, of course, in this passage, Jesus mentions Balaam's name. He's in there in verse 14. Some of you are holding to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. All this background to say that we will put ourselves in danger the more comfortable we become with sin. And how easy is it to get comfortable with sin? Very. That's because Satan knows what you and I like. And Satan doesn't just like try to entice us with things that are boring like salad, <laughs> stuff like that, you know. Stuff, I'm just kidding, guys. Salad, you know, salad lovers, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Okay. <laughs> But, you know, Satan, he tries to entice us with things that are enjoyable to the flesh. And so we just have to be aware of that. Satan, he wants us to get caught up in these sins that we enjoy. And that's what happened here at the Church of Pergamos. The Church of Pergamos, they, this doctrine of Balaam, it doesn't make any sense when you're looking on the outside. Like, okay, why, why would they be living this kind of lifestyle if they do serve God, if, there's a, if they're in a church that worships God? Because Satan... He can get us with literally anything. And the big ones are idolatry and fornication, like we, hear, we see here in Scripture. And so Jesus is warning this church that they cannot have people who are conforming to this kind of lifestyle. You cannot worship God and then also have idolatry and fornication on the side. The Bible clearly says that we cannot serve God and mammon. 
if you try to, if you haven't experienced this before, we've all maybe done it, where we try to live a double life, where we come to church on Sunday and we got our ties. I don't wear a tie, but, you know, I'm wearing my tie and my suit coat and I look like a preacher and or I'm, I come here in the pew and I have my Bible and I'm, I'm taking notes and I look like I'm a Christian. I'm, I think I'm doing pretty good. But then during the week, you kind of just ignore the Bible and it collects dust and you're not really living for God. And when you do that, it's just like they all kind of mesh into one, right? They kind of mesh into one and your true colors show. And so that's why Jesus is trying to warn them. He says, if you don't get rid of this stuff, if you do not get rid of this doctrine of Balaam, and also we see here the, the doctrine of the teaching of the Nicolaitans, it says in there in verse number 15, so, thou, so hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. That, that word Nicolaitan, it just basically means that they're a ruling or a conquering of people. So it would be like if me or Pastor or, or Pastor Rob, we said, all right, everyone in the church right here, you do what we say, you do what we say, or, or you go. And that would be kind of like a very, very bad thing to have in a church where the leadership or people would say, I want to rule over this, this people. And so Jesus is trying to say that they should get rid of that as well. And we often, we often hinder ourselves because we don't want to part ways with that little bit of sin that we enjoy. Do you know that we enjoy sin? I know, right? Oh, we talk about sin all the time. It's, it's gross, it's bad, it corrupts, but in our flesh, we love it. And the Bible says that we have, we have to live in the flesh until either Jesus calls us home or he comes back. And that's the problem we're always going to run into. We're going to run into having a heart of, I want to live for God, and the flesh being like, nah, okay? The flesh does not want you to do that, but... You can, if you want to stand for God, you have to be a clean vessel. God can't use you if, you don't, if you're not right. And that's not because God doesn't love you or anything. That's because God wants you to be clean and available for him. And Jesus wants to deal with this issue at the church of Pergamos, and he tells them to repent, or else he'll fight against them with the sword of his mouth. Now, if Jesus was saying that, if you're, you're reading this right you're reading this letter at the church, and, there's, and they're like, oh, if we don't get right right now, Jesus is going to fight against us with the sword of his mouth. And throughout, throughout the Bible, we see that God's word is compared to a sword with its sharp edges. You know that through the Bible, you can find so many solutions for what's going on? What is, what is the last thing we run to often is the Bible. But God wants us to know that with God's word, we can find any solution to our problem. In order for there to be true repentance, it says there in verse number 16, it says, repent. What's that word, repent? We, we often think about repentance like, so the children of Israel, for example, they, they are sinning and they're living this life of rebellion and they finally realize what's happening and they cry out to God. And so they're, they're thinking, they're thinking, what we're doing is wrong. But if they were to just keep doing it and doing it, it's not repentance. Repentance would be recognizing what you're thinking is wrong and leading to a change of action. And so that's the repentance. And the Bible talks about having a godly sorrow. How many times have we, like, thank God, um, pray you forgive me from this sin, amen. And then you proceed to do the sin again. 
It's because, it's because you don't actually feel bad about it. And so what he's trying to get them to do is repent. You guys need to repent or else it's not going to end well. And if you and I were to have a change in thinking about something that we should not continue to do and then proceed to do that thing, it's not true repentance. You know, the Bible, it says in James that for him that knoweth do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And we, as a church, we know so many basic principles about how we should live our life, and yet oftentimes we keep failing. And that's because we're not having a true repentance. We're not, we're not really repenting of our sin. We're kind of just hitting, trying to hit the restart button and go again. You know when you play it on Nintendo, you can't just hit the reset button? You, if you're out of lives, you're out of lives. And so that's kind of what we try to do in the Christian life. We try to just hit the reset button and then go back to our sin, and then we kind of go back and try to hit the reset button. But if you just live your life like that, like that's just you're just wasting your purpose. You're wasting your, your ability as a Christian to do anything for God. And so if we really want to stand for Jesus, we have to be a clean vessel. It's not, it's not a question of maybe you can be used by God. No, if you want to be used by God, if I want to be used by God, I have to be a clean vessel. And lastly, I want us to see tonight, not lastly, but this last verse for this point is we see that in the Nicolaitans, God commends the church of Ephesus for hating or not holding to that doctrine. Revelation chapter 2 in verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so this is why we see Jesus telling the church of Pergamos, hey, there's some people holding to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, so we need to get that out of here ASAP. Why? Because we already know that Jesus hates it. And I love how Kurt Skelly put it. He said, the fault of most churches is when they refuse to deal with what they know to be wrong. Remember back in the story in Joshua when Achan stole the spoils and, and they told him not to take up the spoils and the treasure? You guys remember that? And what happened? Achan stole it. And we read in Scripture that Achan, not only Achan got stoned, but his entire family. And when you, think, when you read that, that passage of Scripture, you may think, well, what, why did his family also have to die? Well, if you see in the Bible where they hid it, hid it under the tent of where they were sleeping. And so his family knew, like his family, it wasn't just like a, a secret. His family knew, and they all now were keeping, trying to keep this secret from God. And because of it, they lost their life. And that's what, that's what happens so many times in our church. In this church of Pergamos, not every single member was holding to the doctrine of Baal. Not every single member was holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, but they probably weren't oblivious as well to what was going on. And so if you, if you as a church member know that there's something wrong with somebody in your church and you ignore it, you're just as much to blame. I'm just as much to blame. Because God gives us the responsibility of taking care of his church. And lastly tonight, or today, tonight, well, this morning, standing for Jesus gives us a new name. If you look there in verse 17, It says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And Pastor said this before that this, so this is not just talking about those seven churches, but 
Every single believer, every single church, if you're hearing this, you need to listen. And it says there after that, it says, to him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and I'll give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. You know, Jesus, he's telling them, if you guys can overcome this temptation and this, and this trials and the oppression, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it because one day you will be reunited with me and I will give you of the hidden manna in heaven. And so one day we're going to be with God. We're going to be with our Savior and we're going to be eating with him. Now you guys like that, huh? You guys like food. So, so, so do I. I mean, who doesn't love food, right? And so we get to, we're going to be eating with Jesus one day in heaven. And we know that the manna that's talking about here is God. That's the, that's the manna that God would provide in the Old Testament in miracles. And just imagine when that time comes, when we get to be eating with our Lord and Savior. What a surreal thing to think about. This world may throw a lot our way. Satan might try to get every, everything in the book to get you to stumble. But can I just tell you today that you can overcome it because we serve the one who, overcome, who overcame the grave. So this church of Pergamos, he's saying, all right, guys, I love that you're holding fast to my name. And even, even where Satan dwells, even where his throne is, you have not denied my faith, even, even with Antipas giving his life. And secondly, he says, well, but there's some things that we need to take care of. And today, I don't know what, ha- what needs to happen in your life or my life for us to be fully right with God, but don't put it off. Don't put off getting right with God. Can I just encourage you with this today? We serve a risen Savior. He is not dead, but alive. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants what is best for us. Let's not ruin that today with our petty sin. As believers, nothing in this life should stop us because we are on the winning side already. You know that song, of the winning side? That's true. And because Jesus conquered death, he conquered the grave. And if you are a child of his, you don't have to be conquered by sin no longer. The Bible says that we should not continue in sin that grace abounds. And the Bible says, God forbid. Paul asked that question. He said, should we continue in this sin that grace abounds? And he says, God forbid. Why? Because God wants nothing to do with sin. Why, why can't we be sinners and, and why can't we live in sin and still have fellowship with God? Because of what Isaiah writes, that God is holy, 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 right? And so if we want to be used by God, if we want to stand for Jesus, we know it's not going to be easy. And we know that if we want to be used by God, if we want to stand for him, that we have to be a clean vessel. There's no negotiation with that. And the last, thing, the last part of this verse is so awesome. If you see, it says, after the manna, it says, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receives it. I saw in this commentary, it says, a white stone could be a ticket to a banquet, a sign of friendship, Evidence of having been accounted or as a sign of acquittal in a court of law. Jesus may have, may have any one of these meanings in mind. 
But at the very least, we know that it has the assurance of a blessing. So Jesus is telling this church, he's saying, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are holding to my name. I'm glad that you guys are holding to my faith. And he, he corrects them. No one likes being corrected. But then he gives them the assurance of the blessing. If you can overcome this, I will be giving you of the hidden manna, and we will be eating together, and I'll give you this white stone. Now, your, this white stone that the Bible is talking about in Revelation, in Roman culture, it was often used as a reward. If you had this white stone, your name was engraved on it, and it gave you status. It let others around you know that you are important. And so if you had this white stone, you could probably, you can get some free stuff. You can get... You, can get, you, you would have a lot of benefits, just like people who have American Ex, uh, Express Platinum credit card. You, know? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? And so just like this white stone, God just wants to encourage you with this. Hey, I, I see that it's not easy to live in this world. I see that it's not easy to stand up for my name, but let me encourage you with this. There, you, there is a new name for you written in heaven on a white stone and you won't know it till the day that you receive it. God's promising that one day, whether it's when God calls you home or he returns that, your place is reserved. And you don't have to worry about where, if you're saved, you don't have to worry about where you're gonna go when you die. You know that, you'll know that there's a place in heaven for you. And if that doesn't encourage you to just stand for him and live for him, I don't know what will. God loves us so much, and he cares for us so much as individuals. And I'm thankful today for the love of God. I'm, I'm glad that he commended his love toward us while we were yet sinners, and that he died for us. And God, he, and Jesus Christ died in due time. He didn't die for this church for us to live in sin. He did not die for this church for us to not have a testimony in our community of a church that lives for God. And so I hope, that this is, I hope that this is your testimony of your life that I'm not going to be a Christian who wastes what God did for me on the cross. And sometimes when we, when we get stuck in these sin habits, it reminds me of the people that were mocking Jesus Christ on the cross. We read about it in scripture all the time, especially when Easter comes up. We see that when Jesus was on the cross that people were mocking him and spitting on him and putting a crown of thorns on his head and piercing his side with a spear. And we, get, and we think to ourselves, how, how could somebody do that? How could somebody treat the Savior of the world that way? And yet, when we, when we want to just continue in our sin, we're no better. And I just, I just want you guys, I want us to realize today that in today's world, we need to stand for something, and it needs to be Jesus. Because the world is not going to get any better. <laughs> Sorry, newsflash. <laughs> it's not going to get any better. And so if there's something that we need to stand for today, it's not ourselves, it's standing for Christ. And so this church at Pergamos, we can learn a lot from them. We, need, we can learn that standing for Jesus will be worth it. As we bow our head and close our eyes, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I don't know what God is working in your heart, but if there is something that you need to get right today, please get it right. And I'm thankful today that Jesus connects with us. He loves us. It's personal. And we can stand firm for him.